Hello, and welcome to Monumental, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, leaders, visionaries, and big thinkers making monumental change. Here's your host, Evan Holliday. Welcome to Monumental. I'm your host, Evan Holliday, and today we have on the show with us the one and only Lin Yingzo. Lynn, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Evan? Good, good. Really glad to have you on the show today. Um, let's dive right into a little bit of uh, Lin Ying's background before we get into today's episode. Uh, so two years after graduating from Boston College Business School, she bought her first multifamily investment property uh, and with the goal in mind of having the freedom to travel and the drive to make the change from her unfulfilling job, she started Acris Capital and their mission is to produce freedom in the lives of their investors and partners so they can live a life focused on what matters most to them without the constraints of time, money, or employers. And so with that, I would love to just dive right into a little bit of your background, Lin Yang, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like you said, I actually graduated from BC with a finance degree. So I spent about 10 years working in, uh, in investment management. So I was an analyst at first, and then I became a trader. And then I was on a path to be a kind of a portfolio manager position. Um, you know, at, at the time, I was working for a company that had about $10 billion in asset under management. So I was trading, you know, anything from, you know, $10 million to $300 million a day in assets, uh, in fixed income assets. So that was very exciting. You know, the job itself was very challenging and, uh, you know, there were a lot of things going on. It's very fast paced, but there was always something missing from, from that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's making money from money. Right. And yeah. there's not too much. I, I didn't feel like eventually I didn't feel like there's too much greater purpose in that role. Um, like I was just doing the job as a very routine thing, you know, day in and day out. Um, and I just didn't feel like I had a like, control over my destiny and didn't have control over what I want my life to be. So eventually I left that job. Um, I ended up traveling the world about uh, six months. Wow. And during that process, um, I was with my business partners at the time for about eight weeks through, you know, Russia, Mongolia and China. Um, that we start talking about what does freedom mean to us and how, how can we make it happen? And the key thing that, that, that we all had at the time was passive income for real estate. So I have passive income from rental properties in Boston. And, um, and that was basically enough to support my expenses on the road. They pay for, you know, my two mortgages. So that was all great. Um, and then, um, so we just got together and say, why don't we just institutionalize it? Why don't we make this, uh, make this bigger, you know, create more opportunities, not only for ourselves, but also for other investors so that they can kind of realize that this is something they can do as well. That's amazing. Um, so this all came about from a conversation on your world travels, uh, <laughs> talking about what is freedom. Yes. So we were um, actually on the Chansibarian Railway. Wow. And, you, know, you have a lot of time when you're just sitting on the train <laughs> across the middle of Siberia. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like one of the conversation topics that came up, uh, you know, between drinking vodka and eating pickles um, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that you know, you know, yeah, what is freedom and how, how do we make it happen for the rest of our lives? That's amazing. Um, so how did you 
how did you get into your first rentals that, that got you to that point of, of even having the freedom in the first place? Yeah. So my, so yeah, two years out of school, it was 2010. Um, it was the worst part of the real estate market during the last recession. So I ended up, you know, looking around for rental properties and I found this three family. And the whole idea was at that time, I actually just moved back into Boston. So I was looking for a place to live as well. So I bought it really to house hacks that would live in one unit and then, um, and then rent out the other two units. So that went really well. Um, and then, you know, I got really involved with my full-time job and, you know, just doing the work there that I kind of stepped away from the real estate investment side for quite a bit. Um, so it wasn't until really 2017 after I left my job that I really started to focus on that a little bit more. That's great. And so as far as what, what were the next steps? So you're on the Trans-Siberian Railway and you, you guys say, how, hey, we can institutionalize this and help other people get into the opportunity of real estate and passive income. Um, what, what were the next steps and how did you decide to proceed with the business plan that you have now? Yeah, so we so that was a very preliminary discussion on the you know on the rail where the idea came about, and then you know I came back to the states in April, and then my business partners came back to the states in May, and then we kind of got together and say, okay, you know, we talked about this, and how do we make it happen? And we actually sat down, I think in July of 2018, to uh, in uh, Sun Valley actually. Um, to kind of really talk about the business plan, the branding, the marketing, and the legal side of like getting all of this started. We even had to kind of think about, you know, their real estate is a really big asset class, right? So yeah. what part of real estate do we want to be in? You know, there's multifamily, there's, you know, retail, there's self-storage and things like that. So, you know, um, so that was a discussion as well. So we had a pretty long, like, uh, I spent a week with them and we probably talked about, talk about the entire strategy planning session over the like, course of two to three days. That's great. And so were these all partners from the, the same trip? Yes. Yeah, so it was Chad and Christina. So I, I've known Christina for a long time now. She used to work with me at our last job. Uh, she was working with mortgages. And then, um, and then I met Charlie through her. So uh, yeah, so both, all three of us went on the trip together. And now we're in business together. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Um, and it's funny, I met Charles Chad um, at the, I think it was the Jake and Gino conference last year. Mm. Um, great guy. Uh, and so how, I mean, how did you guys know that, okay, we're going to be a good fit together. We're going to work well together. How did you know that you could kind of balance each other's skills and mm. kind of each bring something different to the table? That was definitely one of the biggest discussions um, because, you know, we know that if we're going to be partnered together, we have to share the same goals, same ethos. And that was part of the discussion uh, from the very beginning is that, you know, what do we want out of this partnership? What do we want out all of our lives? You know, what yeah. are we looking to create? You know, everything from the mission statement to the vision of the company um, to how we brand the company all came through discussions with that in mind is that how do we create this culture that will allow us to, to live free and, you know, have the flexibility that we want. And that's still very core. Like even other things like, you know, you know, we should do this, you know, this entire business with like more humor 
you know, with more ease, you know, just some very subtle, you know, abstract things that, that, that other companies may not think about. Like these are things that we talked about because it's such a, you know, it's such an important thing culturally to us to make sure that our mindsets aligned. So, um, so like I said, I worked with Christina for, you know, for four years uh, before this endeavor. So now we've been working together for almost eight years now. And, you know, we understand each other's skill sets. Uh, you know, I know that, you know, she's, she's more conservative and very, way more detail-oriented than I am. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm good with numbers. I'm good with, like, relationships. And then Charlie is just a marketing genius, you know. And <laughs> he is, you know, he is a marketing major. He's, he's started several companies before. And so he creates all of our content, all of our capital raising strategies, our marketing strategies. So, you know, it is complementary skill set. Now, we did also identify gaps in areas that we don't have, um, like, you know, construction experience and things like that. And, you know, we, we consistently identify gaps within our business and look to, you know, either partners or resources or ways to learn to fill that gap. And speaking of which, so walking through, uh, I guess let's sidestep a little bit and go into kind of how you guys figured out your first investment and, and how you guys went about going about that. Yeah, so our first investment, so we decided on Spokane as the market. And the reason for Spokane is, uh, you know, we want to focus on secondary markets. And Spokane fits uh, the criteria that was set out for the market we want to be in. At the same time, it is also where Charlie grew up. So there are the kind of the team on the ground necessary to do due diligence, even though we are not there, right? So our first deal came through uh, a wholesaler, actually. Um and interestingly, we actually just published uh, a blog post on Bigger Pockets about our first deal because we have exited now. So yes. you can so you can read the full. I don't know. I think Charlie Parker wrote five or ten pages. I feel like about the deal and you know <laughs> what we did during the time period and the returns. But you know, it was an interesting deal because um, it was a five unit um, that came through a wholesaler and it's as a seller financing component. So it was a very, very complicated deal because the seller has a mortgage on it and they want us to pay the mortgage that's existing on it. But at the same time, they are very stuck on getting $1,200 a month. So we don't know where the number came from, but they were like, we want to get $1,200 a month. I don't care how it came about, how the, what the interest is. I just want that money. And that's what we did. And we basically structured in a way that we paid the mortgage and then we literally had an interest-free second loan on it. Uh, for the for like a year and that financing aspect was so complicated that even the wholesaler was like okay if you guys didn't have that finance background I don't think this deal could have gotten done because (laughs) there was just so much going back and forth and structuring the deal Um, and yeah so I think that really speaks to our experience having come from the finance background Um, and we knew immediately that we want to uh, to flip the single family that was on the parcel as well because the, it doesn't make sense as a rental due to the rental income that you can get from it. So that was the other so, aspect too. So how many units was that original one? That was a five unit. It was a fourplex plus a single family on two parcels, but they were selling it together. Nice. Um, and, and what kind of deals are you all looking for now? Our core focus right now is looking for large syndicated deals. So, um, you know, our goal this year is to do uh, to at least, least sponsor a syndication deal that's in the 75 unit plus space. And we're focused in the Phoenix area. 
it is a very competitive market. So it's all a numbers game, you know, just got to keep pushing, pushing through essentially. Um, but yeah, you know, we've done two past deals of our other operators in, in Dallas and Orlando. So we wanted to take, you know, take charge on this one. I like it. Um, and you said your, your background is with the numbers, uh, with the performance, the underwriting, what is your process like, uh, within Acris? Like what, what, how do you look at the numbers and how do you do that? Yeah, so I am in charge of acquisitions right now in Acris. So, you know, okay. my, my daily responsibilities comes from, you know, all the way from broker communication to, you know, yeah, underwriting, looking at deals, looking for deals and looking at deals and then, you know, running the underwriting analysis on it. And then it goes through the, through the offer process as well. You know, I'm also in communication with insurance, uh, you know, the insurance agents, you know, uh, you know, and then I have Christina reach out to property managers um, about that, about that side. And then, um, so really our current underwriting is fairly conservative. Um, you know, we are definitely concerned about what COVID is going to bring. Yeah. Um, I think there will be more hurt coming down the road. And so, you know, we are not sitting on the sidelines waiting for a deal. We're actively looking, but at the same time, we know that there is that uncertainty coming down the road and we want to make sure that we put enough cushions and reserves in place against that. So, you know, for example, like our underwriting assumes zero rent growth in year one. We have very, very high, um, you know, uh, economic vacancy assumptions for year one as well. So even through, you know, value add or stabilization, we're not, you know, putting that all into the first year, you know, first year and a half numbers. So it's definitely making the finding a deal harder, but we just want to make sure that our investors are well taken care of and then we're not aggressively pursuing a deal just because we want to do a deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the fine line, the fine balance is, you know, wanting to, wanting to close deals, wanting to move forward, wanting to take action, but yet mm-hmm. also at the same time being cognizant of, Hey, look, if we want to be in this for the long haul, if we want to, you know, keep our reputation and our name, then we need to be able to do deals that we can actually believe in, you know, conservatively underwriting and still understand that the deal is going to be a great deal for us and for our investors too. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so that, that's, that's always the, the dilemma is, you know, you want to do deals, but you have to make sure they're good deals. Yeah, I think for our company, um, because my background, Christina's background is in fixed income, that we've been well trained about principal preservation. So really, our, our number one focus is to make sure that our investors don't lose money. Yeah. So, you know, and then, you know, you make money and that's, you know, the icing on top. Um, so we want to make sure that we under promise and over deliver, you know, we have conservative assumptions and, you know, we'll try very hard to meet or exceed them. But, you know, you know, we, we, I always see underwritings, you know, that, that the assumptions didn't, just didn't make sense. Yeah. You're making the numbers work, is, but it's only working on paper and that makes us very uncomfortable with deals. Yeah. Like that. So, so what, um, as far as what's, what you mentioned, like you see kind of a little bit more hurt, from COVID and the, the pandemic, what do you think that looks like in, in your eyes? I think it's just the delinquency and collections issues that will continue. Um, obviously, I think there will be there may be higher vacancy down the road as well. And then, you know, it's just really hard to kind of imagine because, yeah, like a lot of people look at the stock market and say, okay, that's has fully recovered, right? But then the economy hasn't, right? I think we recovered yeah. like only half the jobs lost uh, since pre-COVID. 
And that's going to take a lot more time. And some of those lost jobs are permanent. They're not coming back. Um, So it's going to take, I think it's take a year or two for that to get to pre-COVID numbers. And then during all that time, you know, the economy is going to be in recession. Um, Yeah, sure. We have a really big recession. So, you know, on that base, we're only going to be going up. Um, But, you know, it's still recession compared to pre-COVID levels regardless. So I think there will be more. Uh, issues with uh, with collections and delinquencies and vacancy numbers in multifamily. Um, and then, you know, if some deals that were done very recently that have very aggressive assumptions, then that could be put under stress as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be part of the interesting thing is how do those deals fare uh, where operators or sponsors put very, very aggressive underwriting um, mm-hmm. either pre-COVID or even in the middle of COVID. Uh, and then now they're, they're, you know, kind of feeling the hurt, feeling the burn, especially in the next six to 12 months. Cause I agree with you. I think okay. we're still in for a little bit of a little bit more of a correction um, because we're, we're in a lot of ways we're living on um, kind of what's been pumped into the market by the federal government, by the low interest rate, you know, we're all have this artificially low, ability or ability to borrow money at such low interest rate, it allows for a lot more deals to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, I mean, I don't know if you saw, but like Disney, I think announced yesterday, like 28,000 people laid off. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, I think is going to start becoming the norm of people announcing bigger layoffs like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, like I said, some of those jobs are permanent you're not giving it back. So It'll be, yeah, I think we'll see a lot more, um, like you said, a lot more collection, correction coming down, uh, coming down the road for sure. So with, with all the, you know, the, the, the negatives and the, the kind of the, the, um, the downside of the pandemic and, you know, it's affected a lot of people in a negative way, but what, what do you see as being one of the kind of the bright spot or the, the opportunity um, rising out of the pandemic? Um, I think there are definitely, well, personally and professionally, right? Professionally, <laughs> I think there are uh, definitely many, many uh, opportunities that, that exist, that's going to exist. Um, I mean, we've seen opportunities in the hotel space. I mean, we're not in hotels, but we've seen other operators and sponsors that are in the hotel space. Um, and there are uh, other real estate um, kind of that's coming under distress that it is a very optimistic buy to invest in these, these, uh, these instruments, because at the end of the day, right, this pandemic, this recession is short term. If you're an investor over the long term, this is the perfect time to take advantage of these situations. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, for a lot of investors, they're keeping their eyes and ears open. Like, you know, we have conversations with our investors and they're all looking for the next deal. Right. Um, obviously, they want to make sure that their uh, their bases are covered, but at the same time, they understand that there are opportunities, you know, that that comes from a distortion like this. And so, um, I think it is a really great time to invest, but just do it very carefully. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think. Well, I think first off, I think the 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 niche that you and I find ourselves in in multifamily uh, is is very much needed now more than ever. Um, especially with less people being able to buy homes or less people wanting to buy homes um, and less homes be even being built. Um, So I think that all plays into it too. And, um, but yeah, I I agree with you. I think first and foremost, it comes down to conservative underwriting and really finding out, you know, what, what uniques about your deal do you have? 
and what separates it from the competition. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in multifamily mm-hmm. and specifically workforce affordable housing. I'm also biased because that's mostly all <laughs> of what I do. But uh, but yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been in conversation with uh, with uh, one of the partners down in South Carolina, um, and they do all affordable housing, and they are seeing like a lot of opportunities coming out in that space as well. So it's definitely, I, I think it's just, you know, as investors, as, you know, as sponsors, just keeping our, our eyes open, because I think not only within multifamily space, if you know how to look at other asset classes, there could be opportunities there as well. Yeah. I love it. Um, so what, what advice would you have for some of our listeners that um, have wanted to invest passively in deals, but haven't done it before um, and are looking to work with a, a solid group like yourself? Yeah, I think the one advice I have is definitely make sure that you vet the team um, that you're investing in. Um, like really understand their background, understand their underwriting and how they look at deals. Because I think that's the most important thing as a passive investor, because you're putting your money with a group that you need to yeah. be able to trust. And, I, and you know, if you are going through like a capital raiser or someone, um, that's really hard because they don't really have uh, control over these assets, right? So you want to make sure you invest with the owner operator. They're buying the assets and they're, you know, they're operating and they're executing the business plan. And, um, and the other thing is that, you know, I know a lot of people invest on faith, especially on their first deal, but definitely, you know, understand, you know, the, the, the operators, you know, their experience, you know, can they do this? You know, do they have the right team in place? You know, how do they look at, you know, do they have an economic outlook that's kind of aligned with yours? Right. And then uh, how they, how do they do the underwriting? And um, I think that's all very important for a first time investor. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I think, First and foremost, you know, our job as, as operators is to make sure our investors know us, like us, and trust us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what it comes down to when they make that decision. It comes down to, you know, can they connect with you? Can they understand your philosophy right. of investing? Do they believe in that? Do they believe that you're going to get it done? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's all comes from nurturing a good relationship with your investors. Yeah, absolutely. And it's everything from, you know, being transparent, being communicative, you know, how um, even, you know, how you market it. Are they professional? Um, do they have typos on their marketing presentation? Yeah. You know, it shows attention detail, right? It's not like, hey, I'm, I'm nitpicky about, you know, you misspelling a word, but really, you know, if you have attention detail to this, you don't have attention detail to marketing package. How do you have attention detail in the finance where, you know, the financial statement is many, many lines long and, you know, a single missed number could be, you know, could change your projections yeah um so what i have to ask what is acris what is that acris capital what does that name stand for so so if you ask my uh if you ask charlie who's in charge of marketing um so acris <laughs> really is the uh the norwegian god of growth and 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 hemp so now we just say is the you know sign for abundance and growth um so that, that, but it came from the Norwegian God um, that, that symbolizes, you know, green and growth and nature and things like that. That's awesome. I love that. Um, and speaking of green and growth, as far as um, making your, your own monumental positive impact in the world uh, with Acris, um, I'm sure that's got to be a, a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, our key mission, right, is to both educate and create that kind of freedom. 
So we want to really bring this opportunity and really, if they don't invest, just the possibility to them that they can learn about, you know, how to generate more passive income streams and, you know, how real estate can help them. And I think that will really help people be more financially independent and less, you know, dependent on their W-2 jobs and kind of change that mindset that, you know, that you have to work until you're 65, but rather you can create these passive income streams so that, you know, if you somehow lose that job or don't want to do that job anymore, that your livelihood is not at stake. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Um, And as far as like your, your all's um, experience with, with longer term investors versus like building that relationship through multiple deals, how has that been? Yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, it's been pretty good. I mean, uh, we, we obviously have return investors in our deals, um, but our relationship with our investors, like we tell them, like, we don't really expect you to invest with us the moment that you talk to us. Yeah. Right? It should be a slow process. It, you, you should be educated. Um, you should understand the risk and return um, that you're getting yourself into. Is this a good fit? It's not a good fit for everyone, right? It is a liquid um, it is longer holding period. There are many risks investing in real estate. Um, so, you know, can you, do you have the risk appetite for it? And so we want to make sure that you understand. And, you know, on, honestly, it's it's not only educating them, right? It's also protecting us from risks. Because if they understand it, then they won't come back when, you know, something goes on and say, hey, I remember yeah. realized that this was going to happen. Um, give me my money back, right? <laughs> so, uh, so, um, so I think it's it serves both purposes. Is that you know, um, it's both education and protection for us as well. And what what do you all when you all talk about the vision of Acris Capital, um, like the long term vision of Acris Capital? What does that look like for you all? It's really, I think, it's both uh, the freedom is is key. Um, I think it's the freedom to choose. Um, that's one. And the other one is, you know, just making a difference. So we, we want to make sure that, you know, in every community that we invest in, every asset that we invest in, that we're creating a positive impact, not only on, you know, not only for our investors, but also for our tenants, you know, for the neighborhood and for, you know, anyone that's involved. So I think that's key is we don't want to be slumlords for one, you know, we want want to always create value, want to always, you know, make the neighborhood better, you know, be a really, you know, a cornerstone of that community. Um, So I think, you know, that that serves both sides, essentially. I love that. Um, And as far as one piece of advice that you think would be monumentally important for our monumental listeners, um, what what piece of advice would that be for you? Um, you mean anything like the world is your oyster? Um, I think it's just to think about different ways to create passive cash flow. Um, you know, it may not have to be in real estate. It could be in other things. But, you know, just think about different ways that you can generate passive cash flow. I know there are a lot of people looking at, you know, startups or VCs. And, yeah, they do serve a purpose in your portfolios. But I think, you know, for me cash flow is the most important part. And the second part is to not lose money. So if you can combine those together, I think that makes for a very good investment. Yeah. I love that. I love how you brought that up earlier. Principal preservation. um, That's, that's really important to investors. And, and I agree, especially with, with large um, asset management groups, that's, 
that's a lot of times that's goal number one a mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and you know if you think about some investments that's you know that's very risky right you have to kind of make sure that you allocate your funds appropriately i mean sure you could invest in facebook all the way back then but back then facebook was very risky um but is that your goal? How does that fit into your portfolio, uh, kind of your portfolio outlook? So just make sure that you understand uh, what you're getting yourself into for any type of investment, really. Yeah. And how are you said you mentioned you all are looking in Phoenix right now? Yes. How did you all pick Phoenix? So we picked Phoenix based on a number of criteria. So we probably have like 13 different criteria for when we want to go into a market. So that's anything from population growth, job growth, rent growth, vacancies, whether or not it's tenant or landlord friendly, um, you know, what are the economic anchors in, in, in that neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. So um, really the Phoenix, kind of Phoenix, greater Phoenix, like Mesa area really rise to the top uh, when we look at our criteria. And you know that it is a good market because it is a very competitive market. And a lot of people are in it. So, <laughs> um, but that's, that's what you have to deal with, right? A good market will have competition. That's that you can't, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. And how, how are you all separating yourself from everybody else with all the competition? Well, we are in communication with a lot of groups uh, in, in Phoenix and not only on the brokers, but also having communications with local investors and local potential partners so that we can kind of create our um, really like pull our brand and reputation out there. Uh, as a thing. And then the other thing is just to con- continuously submit offers. I mean, even if, I mean, the last offer submitted was 25% below the investor price. Um, but, you know, just continue. <laughs> I know the feeling. Just, yeah, just continue to put your, yourself out there. You know, eventually you can get name recognition and, you know, and they understand that you're there and you're serious, um, serious, serious investor. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think putting your name out there, being consistent, persistent about it, mm-hmm. um, knowing who the really connected people are in town um, and just being genuine and honest and, and also giving feedback to brokers, I think is helpful. Yeah. Um, even if, even if you don't make an offer or if you make a low ball offer or you make a way lower offer than they expect, you give them a reason right. and usually that'll suffice. And then they'll, that'll keep developing the relationship because over time, they're going to learn more and more about what exactly deal fits for you. And then they're going to be able to find deals for you potentially off market or pre-market. And then you won't have to maybe compete with 20, (laughs) 20 groups for one deal. (laughs) I I feel like there will always be competition no matter what, but yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. That you'll get, um, you'll get to onto that exclusive list and then maybe you only compete with six other groups. Yeah. yeah, Instead (laughs) of 50. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's crazy. A friend of mine's a multifamily broker and he's like, yeah, our email list is like 50,000 people. I'm like, oh my, oh gosh. my gosh. <laughs> so every time I see it, I know 49,999 other people have seen it. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I've loved our episode today. Uh, I've loved hearing your story, Acris' story, how you guys have really, you know, gone from that train the Trans-Siberian train, which is amazing backstory um, to where you guys are today and really the sky's the limit now. So I I love that. Um, So thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, And um, with that, let's jump into our monumental questions. Sure. Uh, What does success mean to you? Success means one, freedom. And two, I think also contribution. 
um, just giving. Um, because I think success is about, you know, how much can you give as well? Not how much you make for yourself, but how, how can you make that difference and that impact on others? Success is freedom and contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, what about daily habits or morning rituals you have? So uh, I've been doing Miracle Morning pretty religiously. So I do meditate in the morning and I do read. The only thing that I don't really do is journaling because I'm not a huge journal person. Um, but I do definitely get my meditation, reading, and exercise in before I start my day. So I nice. exercise every day. So, yeah. Yeah, when I, when I got regular with exercising in the morning, that, like, was a game changer for me. I was like, it's like man, like, I get my blood flowing every morning. That just changes the whole day. Yeah, absolutely. And you're in way better shape, too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, what about favorite book or book you are currently reading? So a book I'm currently reading is, uh, is Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. Um, so I'm part of a group called Go Abundance Women. And, uh, and this is a book that came out. She spoke at our last retreat. And uh, so I've I just been reading the book on having fierce conversations. I love it. Um, well, with that, how can our monumental listeners reach out to you, connect with you, or, or get in touch? Yeah, so you can find us on our website um, at www.accuracecapital.com. And we do have a monthly newsletter. Um, we also recently published a white paper called The New Roadmap to Financial Freedom that you can download on our website as well. Um, and obviously, feel free to reach out to me at an email, uh, lzou at accuracecapital.com. I love it. Guys, take Linying up on that, lzou at accuracecapital.com. Guys, take her up on that. Um, and if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you share it on social media. Let other people know you're listening. Let us know you're listening, share it and tag us. Tell us what part of today's episode you really enjoyed. Uh, and guys with that, have a monumental day. 